Welcome to The Reforming Lounge, a podcast on spiritual formation for the wandering heart. Every Wednesday, we gather to discuss questions centered around mental health and discipleship in the context of the local church. Well, good morning, guys. Welcome to The Reforming Lounge. We hope that you are enjoying your week. I am one of your hosts, Marco, and the other one, whom is here. Is it whom or is it who? Anyway, it's Fowler. Ooh. What's Good up, question. Huh? Sorry, I just Man. butchered our intro because I just started. No, is it whom or who? It was so that was a real life thought right there. That's <laughs> <laughs> that's live tweeting your your it's process. Live tweeting, yeah. Is it who or whom? Man, it just reminds me of that so, scene in the office where like is that today's Michael episode? And Ryan and uh, Pam is trying to help them differentiate the difference. Uh, yeah, 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 dude. Love the office so much. Ooh, who is that on your mug? This is Charles Spurgeon. Ah, dude, that's baller. Got the yeah, cigar man. and everything. Yeah. That. I need to post that picture of the one that Everett edited, where it's like Spurgeon and Calvin in tuxedos. It's oh yeah, it's one of the that yet? no, I need to. I'll do that next week. Dude, that's amazing. I know. It's good. That's that's what we're gonna be doing uh next week at your house. Yes, exactly that. <laughs> you forgot yeah. for a second. <laughs> suits ready to go. And, I don't know that uh, I wear suits, but you know, no, you I'll bring the cigars. So I'll take that. I'll take that. <laughs> well, I'm rocking my uh, Florida coffee cup. Okay, Look at that. Are you? I feel like you've talked about this before. Do y'all collect? Y'all collect coffee cups, mugs? Dude, we have an insane collection of coffee mugs. It started with state mugs. Anytime we'd go somewhere. Uh, particularly states, we would get a mug to signify that has blown out into um, cities. <laughs> Anytime we go to a different city, we get a coffee mug. Yeah. Anytime we we get mugs for different coffee shops that are just like indie coffee shops that yeah. have cool yeah. mugs. Uh, when you were in Breckenridge, did y'all go to the Crown? It's a coffee shop up there. Um, I don't think so. It's pretty good, but we, we did, got this we, really awesome mug up there. Yeah, I don't remember. I don't remember there being coffee, like local coffee shops in Breckenridge. I'm not saying that there weren't. I don't remember that. But we, I mean, we went to several in Denver. But uh, once we were in Breckenridge, I don't know. I think maybe it's just because of our schedule. We didn't really spend a lot of time in that little village. Um, yeah, I did find because there were several. There was like we did find this one local pub. And then this one cigar lounge that was like a room. So it really wasn't a lounge. It was a tiny room. But I don't remember seeing like local coffee shops, a lot of restaurants, a lot of shops, you know, pubs, touristy stuff like that. But I don't remember seeing a coffee shop. Yeah, that was the only coffee shop that I remember finding uh, when in that little village that's over there. Yeah. But yeah. So, yeah, we pretty much get a mug for just about anything at this point. Dang. So it's kind of out of control. We've we've recently started getting coffee mugs for like shows that we really enjoy. Like we'll get a we'll get just a mug that like references the show. Is that why you want mugs for this podcast already? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's one hundred percent selfishly motivated. That's why we started this podcast so that you can get really. Mugs. Yeah, <laughs> I mean that's ninety eight percent of why I started it. Yeah, yeah, I'll get you one for Christmas. I'm just here for the mugs. Yeah, that I'll, I'll get you a coffee mug. I'm gonna make us some pint glasses. 
with our logo on okay. it. Okay. That would be pimp. Do it. Well, make it happen. Don't talk yeah, about man. it. Be about it. <laughs> It'll happen. I just, here's the other thing. I just like, I hope people buy them. <laughs> well, yeah. That would yeah. be nice. So you guys Putting are putting it out it now. First. Yeah. Yeah. As merch begins to drop, maybe this fall, we'd appreciate it if you got, because nobody's asked this, but I, I hope as we grow in listenership, one of the ways in which people can help support this podcast would be through the purchasing of of merch so at the very minimum yeah. coffee mugs and pints will be will, will be I, I guess done available um yeah i need a hoodie too though need a hoodie dude yeah. I'm, hey man i reforming lounge hoodie <laughs> uh yeah we'll see i'll see what i can do i'll make it happen we could make we could make you a purse why would i need it for my wife not for you bro why because don't cause you, you carry wear... a pouch with you? No, that's a satchel, actually. So I, I was asking like sincerely. I don't, I don't I have a backpack. <clears throat> I've got a messenger bag that my wife bought me. That's very classy. Oh, man, I need a new one. I so, have one, but I need a new one. I want to see yeah. yours. Not now. I don't know where she got it from. It's nice. It's nice. It's Dang. real professional. I mean, I, I just have a backpack from Tactical 511. Is that where you got the backpack that you gave me back in the day? No, no. Yeah, you remember. You I do remember. remember. I just don't remember the you backpack. You don't. You, no. I remember giving you no, a backpack. I, I don't remember what the backpack was. It was a. It was like camo something. Wasn't it an it's ugly dead one? Now. It it broke. Maybe I don't know. See, that's what brands I mean. are. I don't know, dude. So, Sorry. Anyway, all, right. all of that. What are we being talking said, about today? Today we're talking about your favorite topic. It's psychosis and possession, and so. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah so uh yeah we're talking about the differences if there are any no there are um the differences between psychosis and, and demonic possession and so what i thought i would do is i would first define demonic possession and then you could define psychosis and man i feel like as we were talking offline i think i, I could be i'm i'm pretty sure i'm mistaken but it feels as though there are going to be a lot of similarities apart from, apart from definition, there are going to be a lot of symptomatic similarities. If I could say it that way. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. okay. So I'll start with, with demonic possession. And so I think the way in which the church would define demonic possession would be the indwelling of an unclean spirit, specifically in the life of a non-believer. That is an individual whose heart has not been regenerated uh, and, and does not know Jesus. And do I, do I keep going like about the symptoms and all that? <clears throat> yeah, man, go yeah, for it. I'll just do it. I'll just, you know, we'll see what happens. And so, so that would be in short um, mm -hmm. as concise as nice. possible. The, concise. The, the, yeah. Concise. Yeah. The definition of demonic possession. Now within that, what it looks like, right. Varies significantly at least what we see in scripture particularly through the gospel throughout the gospels symptoms range um from physical to emotional to even psychological symptoms and a lot of these accounts or a lot of these uh instances are recorded in man like uh, mark one mark five mark eight luke eight matthew eight and so matthew 17 so I'm just kind of shooting off the top of my head. And so 
a lot of these instances where you see individuals who are possessed, demonically possessed, you're going to see their symptoms range from every, again, once again, physical, emotional, psychological. And so you could see everything from the inability to speak to violence committed against themselves or others, or, you know, I guess we would call that self-harm. Um, we would see social isolation, you know, they retreat away from people, the public. Um, so from social, social isolation to seizures, from the inability to hear or blindness to even great suffering and excessive strength. And so, so you're seeing like a wide range of symptoms with an individual who, um, may be uh, demonically possessed. And, and the other thing that you also see is the duration. Sometimes it might just be a short period of time. Sometimes it's uh, a long period of influence. And uh, so at the surface, and we'll get into the distinctions in a bit, but at the surface, that is one, how we would define demonic possession Two, the wide range of symptoms as seen in, in scripture. That's good, man. And yeah. this is maybe something to put in between our definitions because it's relevant to both is that any of those things don't necessarily automatically mean demonic possession, but Correct. they could be something that would go along with it. Correct. Um, Correct. And that could be one of those things or multiples. I'm assuming. Yeah. Yeah. So how about, how about this? So before you get to packing, unpacking psychosis, why don't you tell our listeners why we're talking about this? That may give a little bit more context as you, as you unpack psychosis. Man, that's a great idea. <laughs> so, <laughs> I probably should have started with that. That's my thought. Hey, that's man, it's notes. called grace. Just, Thanks, bro. Yeah, man. Well, uh, so yeah, the, the main two reasons that we're talking about this is, and this is just kind of based on at least our perception and our experiences, is sometimes people will try to explain, explain away scripture with like new reasons. Like, well, back in those days, they didn't understand what psychosis was, mm. so they just called it a demon. Um, but scripture calls it a demon, yeah. so we know that it is a yeah. demon. Um, and also, you know we can assume that mental illness still existed back then yes. also just because it's not talked about necessarily, or at least to my understanding, maybe it's not explicitly stated yeah. um, in scripture, but that doesn't mean that it didn't exist at all. And then the other reason is people can swing the other way and assume that anyone that has psychotic features must be possessed, mm -hmm. which is also not helpful and would yeah. also be inaccurate. Yeah. Um, so, and like Marco was saying at the start, you know, there are some similarities. And so that's why we think it's helpful to kind of unpack this conversation a little bit and talk more about what these things look like um, and some of the differences and some of the similarities. Yeah, for sure. Okay. So, so with that being said, how would you define psychosis? So psychosis is complicated. Because it's 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 a factor of several different types of diagnosis, and it's not just a diagnosis of itself. Mm. So, if you have a diagnosis um, that would be, you know, any of the various mental health diagnoses, sometimes those can have a di like a symptom of psychosis with mm. them, but it's it's not 
just the one thing. But psychosis in general is generally a condition that affects the way that your brain processes information. And so that can look like a lot of different things. Uh, I think the, the main things that people think about when they think about psychosis or what they would call crazy using air quotes, mm-hmm. um, which as we'll continue to talk about, I think that's a, a really uh, not helpful way to frame it. And it really just kind of shows the ignorance of the situation. But yeah, that's good. Um, I think the things that people think about most are like when people are talking to themselves or, you know, hearing voices, having conversations with people that aren't there things like that. Mm -hmm. And so that's kind of broken into two different categories. So we have delusions, which are generally based in reality, but they're still perceiving things in a way that is not the way that things actually exist. Uh, And then there's hallucinations where that would be like hearing voices that aren't there at all um, or seeing people that aren't there at all, things like that. So but there's there's other components to it too. So um, there is sorry, I just kind of got hung up on a on a spot <laughs> on my notes there. But so there's there's one thing called catatonia that can happen, mm. where p- people are basically like uh, it, it almost looks like there's just no will to move really, or mm-hmm. like they they could even be stuck in a specific position, which obviously I can't see because I'm in, you know. You're just listening, but as I'm, as I'm demonstrating the markup, they could just be stuck with like their arm in a certain position or something like that. And that would be a catatonic state where they're like, just not moving. Um, other things are like disorganized speech where the thoughts don't really line up in any sort of a logical way. They could be jumping around from, uh, you know, any number of things. I mean, talking about their nutrition to talking about, um, some political leader being possessed by an alien or something. Um, just like no real consistent logical thought pattern mm-hmm. that we would typically experience. One of the other symptoms would be flat affect, which is sort of just like no real emotional expression uh, that would be able to be observed. Um, and so people do this on a normal basis anyway mm-hmm. uh that's so that in and of itself which is part of why i put that caveat at the end of your definition uh doesn't mean that that's something that's happening sometimes we just don't have any emotional expression on our face right so so those are kind of a slew of the different types of symptoms that would come along with someone experiencing psychosis mm-hmm. but again that doesn't necessarily mean that it is psychosis uh, and it, it doesn't necessarily mean that they have a, any specific type of mental disorder. Sometimes those things happen in, um, different types of ways also. Mm-hmm. Man, that's really fascinating. I, I, I didn't know a lot of that. That's actually really good. You know, offline, we were talking about, um, you know, is there a distinction or is there a distinct marker or markers of psychosis and in this case, demonic possession? Uh, because in, in line of why we're doing this, right? Like some people try to explain away um, scripture with new reasons, like, oh, they were ignorant back then. They were not as intelligent or as advanced as we are in the area of mental health and care. Uh, but then on the other, uh, the other side is, you know, individuals believing that should a person exhibit some of these symptoms, they must be uh, possessed. And, and both are incorrect. And there has to be, I think, 
to a degree, some kind of distinguishing markers. And we were talking about this offline and, um, and this might be just good for, for listeners to even provide feedback, but at the very least, to my understanding, one of, uh, or at the very least, uh, a distinguishing marker of an individual who is, um, demonstrating symptoms of demonic possession as opposed to an individual who is demonstrating symptoms of psychosis is that the individual who is demonically possessed is uh, speaking on behalf of some demonic influence who is being very vocal about their opposition towards Jesus. Mm -hmm. And um, in other words, the demonic influence is very aware that they are that that this influence or that these influences are in this individual, and they are also um, in direct. I keep saying it the same way, but in direct opposition toward toward Jesus. And mm-hmm. we see this in in the Gospel of Mark, where there was a man who was um, who had an unclean spirit. Jesus calls him forth. And this was an individual who had experienced self-harm, isolation, comes before Jesus. And uh, the demon who uh, identified himself as Legion speaks through this individual. And they are in great fear of the lordship of Jesus. And they are very aware of not only who they are, but who Jesus is. And therefore ask Jesus to not cast them away, but to send them into this herd of pigs. And, and so Jesus does that as opposed to this individual saying, can you cast me into these pigs? Right? Like he, the individual is not speaking for himself. Right. And so, <clears throat> yeah, there is this very clear, one of the, the markers I should say is that demonic possession is, is at war against, against God. In addition to that, um, I think biblically, is that individuals who are demonically possessed do not know Jesus. They, they, um, all individuals that we see demonically possessed, I think through, throughout the gospels were, were, were non-believers. Mm-hmm. Now their experience afterward to where maybe they came to faith in Christ is something different, but prior to that, they, they did not know, uh, Jesus, which leads into one of the questions you had asked me earlier. Can a Christian, someone who has, um, come to faith in Christ, in Christ alone. Um, can they be demonically possessed? And, and I would say no, primarily for, for a couple of reasons. Uh, number one, Paul addresses something similar to the Corinthians. It's in second Corinthians. And Paul goes on to say, and, and this is a paraphrase that the individual who knows Jesus now has the Holy spirit dwelling or residing in them. And as a result An unclean spirit cannot coexist, cannot dwell in the same place as God, the Holy Spirit. Mm. And so that would be one clear marker there, because I think some individuals would say, well, how would you then address sin? Because we're clearly sinning. There's a difference between demonic possession and influence and sin nature that we have inherited because of Adam. And so, yeah. And so... And I think that's where you get into the category of spiritual warfare, the flesh, the world, and the enemy. And many Christians Mm. want to bundle them all up, but there is a distinction among 
that very unholy trinity. And when it comes to uh, the flesh, like when Paul and even John uses it, I think John, first John two, this phrase called the flesh, the flesh is referring to our internal desire. And that's a key word, right? Our internal desire to rebel against God, to Mm -hmm. oppose God, to resist God. And so, um, so when Paul is addressing the Corinthians, back to what I was saying earlier, when Paul is addressing the Corinthians, it's in the context of an unclean spirit coexisting with God, the Holy spirit that, that can't happen because God, the Holy Mm -hmm. spirit resides in the believer. And if an individual comes and says, well, you know, I continue to, I had one individual tell me this once, well, I continue to sin. Therefore, what is wrong with me? Well, part of what is wrong with us is that we are not just sin, uh, excuse me, not, we're not just saints, but we, we still have a sin nature in us that is being transformed, that is being worked on. And so don't confuse sinful action or nature with external demonic possession. And I think some Christians do that. Yeah, man, that's really helpful. That's not even something that I thought about before uh, we had this conversation. And I could just see how that could lead to a really dangerous place for people to be. Like if they think that, well, I'm not, because it it would almost lean to the idea that we're not responsible for our sin because we must be possessed by a demon. We're not responsible for sin. Oh, sorry, go ahead. ahead. Well, I was just going to say it would be a misunderstanding of ourselves. Yeah. Um, kind of the, the process of sanctification, yeah. uh, the doctrine of sin, what spiritual warfare looks like. There's a lot of holes yeah. that would come out yeah. of that. A ton of them. And so yeah. I think a lot of Christians, even not in the realm of demonic possession, I think a lot of Christians um, fail to take personal responsibility for their sin. And it must be because, you know, Satan made me do it. Uh, the world yeah. made me do it. Like, no. You know, like you're the one that ended up following through with that decision. There may have been influence and temptation and lies surrounded around whatever it is you made the decision on. But at the end of the day, you're the one that made the decision. And so there is external influence. That is the world. Uh, there is internal desire. That is our flesh. And the Bible speaks very clearly about our desire to want to rebel against God. But that's the whole point of the Holy Spirit, right? In, in John 14 and John 16, Jesus says that the Spirit is going to be a counselor to us, um, that he is to guide us, to convict us, to remind us of what Jesus has uh, taught us. And so, um, yeah, there there is that minimal uh, distinction like and I think people want to put it all in together. Um, on top of that, sometimes I think Christians, some Christians, some, some very hyper spiritual, if I could say it that way, Christians will, how can I say this? There are Christians who would believe that it is possible for a demon um, or an unclean spirit to possess a Christian. And that as a result, the reason for that is because of indwelling sin that was not taken care of uh, generation. This is a phrase that's used regularly within the church, generational curses. Um, It could be because of like sin that you are involved in currently. And, And to that, there are a couple of things. One, if an individual is indulging in their sin, they may not be a Christian to begin with. Now that's a very general statement. Cause I don't, you know, I'm not talking about anybody specifically, but that could be the case. Sure. Yeah. Number two, 
there are many individuals within the church who would say that a Christian can be possessed, can, can have demonic possession. And the reason for that is because, yeah, you know, like I said, sin, generational curses, and so on. Um, that by definition, I think is blasphemy and heresy. And it, and it's actually something called deliverance theology. Mm. And the problem with deliverance theology is that it feeds on fear. Like the reason, like, I'll give you an example of, <laughs> it sounds wacky, but, but here's, here's an example. Cause it, it doesn't have to be this intense experience. It could be something just wacky. So if an individual, a general a generational curse, an example of a generational curse could be this. If, if you were single, let's say you weren't married. If you were single, the reason you're single is because you have a bachelor curse because your sister did some things in her past that she shouldn't have. And because she went unrepentant and doesn't know the Lord, you bear that curse. jeez. <laughs> and so you're, kind of left with like, oh my gosh, what do I need to do in order to be rid of this curse, to be rid of this, of this demon, um, deliverance theology. And I'll touch more on that in a bit, but deliverance theology, again, it, it feeds on fear. It's also really popular in, in many African churches or in hyper charismatic churches, like word of faith churches, not all, but, but certainly many of them, um, you know, like women who experience, um, miscarriages who tragically experience miscarriages, they would say it's because of something that they've done. Like there is this yeah. demon that is causing this to happen. And unless you take care of this demon, exercise this demon, you're going to continue to have miscarriage. And so, oh, so man. it feeds on fear. And so the, the yeah. problem with that is that these are individuals like you in that example, like the, these are individuals who actually, these are individuals who know Jesus, but they're being governed by fear. And so the problem with deliverance theology is that it is heresy because it uh, dismisses a, uh, it, it's a heresy because it denies the gospel. It's it, it, what they are yeah. saying is that when Jesus said it is finished, it really wasn't. Therefore the cross, the redemptive work of Jesus was ineffective and incomplete. And yeah, in order yeah. to be truly saved in order to be truly delivered, you got to do these things. Yeah. You got to address these demons. And that is incredibly heretical and, Dude. And, and it just beats people up, man. Yeah. Yeah, man. That's heartbreaking. Like, God, I mean, those examples that you're using too, like, like a miscarriage, that's such a horrendous experience yeah. for someone to go through. And then you lump all this shame on top of it. Yeah. Of, this is something that you did. Yep. Dude. Uh, yeah. Uh, I mean, it is, it is, it is shame driven as opposed to, <laughs> As, as opposed to like the process of sanctification is, is diminished because it is, it is shame driven. And so individuals yeah. who come from a background where man, maybe, maybe they know Jesus today, but they really did some, some, some terrible things in their past still feel a need to have to do something else in order to be rid of these curses or to be rid of these demons. And I think one of the things that for those Christians, what they need to realize is that, that Jesus has fully delivered them from their sins if their faith is in him. And though our previous decisions or our previous experiences, though they may be consequential to us today, they don't threaten your union with Christ. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? 
Yeah. And I think that's ultimately what's being preached. Like your union with Christ is being, is incomplete because of this demon in you. And that's a horrible gospel to preach. Yeah. Yeah, dude. Jeez. It's, it's just striking to me. And this is, you know, one of our motivations for doing this. I know, but I mean, how bad theology can like annihilate your mental health. I feel like the hardest thing about at least, well, I should speak for myself. For me, the hardest thing about wrapping my mind around the gospel is, you know, when we've, when we live in uh, just the way that humans typically live of this kind of, you know, we need to live up to a certain standard in relationship with each other. Mm-hmm. And if we don't do that, we give up on each other eventually. Mm. And that's what's difficult for me with the gospel is that despite the fact that God has made it very clear from the beginning what the expectations are, and not only myself, but every other human being continues to fail to meet those expectations every single day. Yeah. But despite that, he chooses to look past it and send his perfect son to live the life that we couldn't live and die in our place because he loves us that much yeah. and that he's still looking past how we continue to fail him. Yeah. That is hard to sit with. Yeah. And so I think it it's, it's easy for these other ideas to come in and say, well, that wouldn't make any sense. Like I've yeah. got to, I've got to bring something to this. Yeah. But the truth of scripture says that we can't. Yeah. But it's like we continue to go back to, well, no, I must. Like, yeah. they're, 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 I mean, that's just the way that we are, right? Like, I, yeah. I have to bring something of value to this relationship to prove that God made a good choice in choosing me. Yeah. Yeah. In a system like, like deliverance theology, um, mm-hmm. grace is reduced, if not altogether removed. And, Um, and so you're left with a theology or a lifestyle of works. If I do these things, then God will love me. Then God will, will accept me. And the thing is that in Jesus, God already loves us. Therefore, that is why we obey. That is, that is why we can actually come before him. And in addition to that, I would make this one distinction. You know, you mentioned like, man, God looks past this and sending his son. I don't know that God looked past our sin because on the cross, we see what God thinks about our sin. Like his wrath yeah, was yeah. poured out onto Jesus. And so the, the, the paradox of the gospel is, is that it is the grace of God that has saved us from the wrath of God. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really good point. I misworded that it's not looking past. I mean, the the cross is obviously a picture of (laughs) being unable to look past it. Yeah. I I guess how I should have worded that is despite the life that we've lived. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So I've talked a lot about like uh, demonic possession. So, you know, I said, one of the distinguishing marks is, you know, at the very least from scripture is that it, it's individuals who are in opposition toward Jesus and open opposition towards Jesus. So what would, if that is one of the markers for an individual experiencing psychosis, how would you say that? Well, just because they're not openly in opposition to God, they must be experiencing psychosis. Like, how would you, 
How would you make that distinction? I don't know if I'm asking the question well. Because you know what I mean? Like, it Can can't you rephrase just... that. Yeah. So I think I missed it. Yeah. No, no. If a distinguishing mark of, of psychosis and possession is that in possession, an individual is openly opposed to Jesus. Does that then mean, which I don't think it does, but I want you, I want you to, you know, come in on this. Um, does that then mean that because an individual who demonstrates these symptoms and is not openly in opposition to, to Jesus is, is, is experiencing psychosis? Hmm. That's an interesting question. Um, and that might just that be too would... clean of a question. And, and this kind of subject doesn't allow for there to be that cleanliness of a distinction. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I mean, I think things that I could say explicitly is that, you know, Christians and non-Christians could experience psychosis. So there's right. a distinction there. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's all I got. <laughs> so how, would, that's kind of the how would you, thing, okay. Right? How about this? How would you, in, yeah. in light of some of the, the symptoms you described, yeah. if you, if you can, like if an individual comes into your office, a Christian mm-hmm. who comes into your office and exhibits some of these symptoms, how would you, how would you begin to counsel them? Mm. Uh, generally where I always start is I want to know about their trauma history. Um, sometimes some mental health diagnosis come out of like child abuse, mm. severe relational trauma, um, you know, just horrible experiences they've had, even within a healthy family. Um, so just experiences, you know, and that's not, that's definitely not always the case because there's definitely an aspect of just like, you know, just, just the same way that we can, um, have physical difficulties just straight out of the womb. We can have the same thing with, with mental disorders. Uh, you know, there's definitely a neurological biological component there mm-hmm. um that is just something that this individual is going to face for whatever reason mm-hmm. um so that would be my answer is that generally i'm and i i treat everybody um in that regard in, in a similar way if i want to know the experiences that they've had i want to know yeah. if there's been trauma behind some of this um because even if it is just you know brain wiring um and maybe they're going to be on medication for the rest of their life which is not an area of my expertise or any of my role with, right. with medication but if that's a factor uh, then trauma at the very least i think would exacerbate the things that they're experiencing so um, real quick i'm gonna stop you right there go ahead and repeat that sentence so you cut out briefly and it might come out in the recording so could you repeat that little phrase okay um so regardless of if someone has like a neurological or biological component to their mental health disorder, um, if they have some sort of diagnosis, um, then even if they're going to be like medication dependent for the rest of their life, which maybe they will, maybe they won't, that's not my area of expertise mm-hmm. or any kind of role that I have in that process. Um, but trauma at the very least would exacerbate most mm-hmm. likely what's experiencing. Um, so I would still start there. Yeah, no, I think, I think that's good. I think, and the first thing I, I think about is like the kind of role that you fill in counseling individuals, it's, it's walking with them. I, I keep on coming back to some level of discipleship where you are walking 
with them as you are trying to identify certain things and help them become aware of certain patterns and symptoms and so on. And um, I think that would be that one thing where I would, that would probably be my encouragement to individuals who are just curious about this. Uh, it, I think one of the problems I see with Christians is that they're trying to self-diagnose it as opposed to going to the word, going to professional help, going to their church community or some close friends. Hey, this is what's going on. How can we begin to walk through, address, discern? Um, and I think sometimes, sometimes some Christians try to self-diagnose so that they would ignore their own personal responsibility. Well, this is the way that I am just because of X, Y, and Z when it might be deeper than that, um, or it might include more than that. And so I think that's the importance of, I think, discernment in community and certainly professional help. Yeah. Yeah. And I think there's a component too of, you know, unfortunately, at least coming from the experiences that I've seen, sometimes the church isn't great at responding to these things. Mm -hmm. So even if they do bring it to someone, um, there can be a ton of understandable fear behind what type of response they're going to get. And that's why I think this is a conversation that needs to be had also, because if they're, you know, like this deliberate theology that you're talking about, like if they're thinking, well, this must be something that I did wrong that I need to address and I don't want to talk to anybody about it. I mean, it just keeps people stuck Mm -hmm. in their shame of feeling like this is some something that needs to be addressed that they've got to figure it out and they've got to figure it out on their own because they're not going to be accepted is what they might feel like. So I remember uh, meeting as meeting up with a a friend that we were, we were really, really close when we were like elementary school and we reconnected on Facebook and uh, we got together just to catch up. And uh, like the first time we hung out in years and he brought up to me that, you know, he had had some thoughts of suicide and I didn't really like react. (laughs) I mean, Mm -hmm. I didn't like jump to his, you know, uh, I don't know. I I just kind of continue to sit with him and just continue to listen to him. And like, I remember him just like looking up to like watch my reaction. And then he immediately was like surprised that I didn't Mm -hmm. like look freaked out that he had just said that or, or anything like that. And I think, you know, so often when we, when we don't understand some of these things and we might have a big um, weight of feeling like we need to know exactly how to respond, that it can end up having us do really unhelpful things. And that yeah. kind of creates, you know, more of this fear and uncertainty for people that are struggling with this stuff where they feel like they can't really yeah. open up to people about it. Yeah, I think it's good. I think, um, well, I let me erase. I think I agree with the church often not responding well. I think one of the, one of the things that we tried to do to best equip our congregation was earlier this spring, we did a class on spiritual warfare where it was a three week, it was a three week like lecture on, um, uh, or I'm sorry, it was a three week class where we did a series of lectures on the world the enemy and, and the flesh and ultimately broke all of that, all of that stuff down um, because we do see those phrases in, in scripture. And I think it's important for the church to be equipped in what they each mean, why they are distinct or what makes them distinct, but also and how they actually work together in some way. Um, and so um, I might just add the link to that um, in the show notes, but, uh, but yeah, so <clears throat> 
I think, uh, I think it's important for the Christian to not just seek care, but I think it's important for the church to have a biblical understanding of spiritual warfare. And I know that's not exactly what we talked about that because we can get very specific into that, which is fine. And I think the church need to grow in spiritual warfare, because I think one of the things that I see, particularly in the reformed camp, um, is that when it comes to spiritual warfare, a lot of reformed individuals would say, yes, it exists. Anyway, moving on to soteriology, (laughs) you know, God's, (laughs) God's involvement in salvation. Like they don't want to talk about some of these things. And, uh, and, and I think, I think they need to get comfortable engaging them to, so that they could better equip their congregations and pasture and, and lead their congregations and care for their congregations. I think all of that matters. Yeah, Yeah, man. That's really good. That's good, man. All right, guys. Well, thanks so much for listening in this week on psychosis and possession. Hope you guys enjoyed it. Uh, Hope you guys took some uh, wisdom or the nuggets of wisdom (laughs) from all this. And uh, either way, we will see y'all next week. Thank you for listening to the Reforming Lounge podcast. Follow us on social media at The Reforming Lounge on Instagram. If you have questions, we want to hear from you. Visit thereforminglounge.com.